Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Avni Doshi. She was shortlisted for the Booker Prize for her debut novel, Burnt Sugar, which is published by our friends at the Overlook Press. Avni, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it is an honor to have you here. And let's dive right into your excellent novel, Burnt Sugar. And by doing so, I would like to talk about the first line. This is one of the greatest first lines I've read in recent memory. And that line is, I would be lying if I said my mother's misery has never given me pleasure. End quote. I read this line out loud to several of my colleagues and they all loved it. Uh, what do you think this line and this universal response that I have gotten to reading it out loud says about the relationship between women and their mothers? Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I mean, it's it, the thing about that line that's really interesting is that it kind of came at the beginning of the writing process and um, well, sorry, not the beginning of the process, but the beginning of this particular draft. And um, I knew that it was going to be the first line when I could see not only the shape of the entire um, novel in the first sentence, but I could actually see a lot of the conflict as well um, between mother and daughter. So I think that um, there is this very deep love-hate relationship uh, between Tara and Antara, and a lot of that stems uh, from the fact that um, at the very beginning of the novel, we learn that um, Tara has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, mm -hmm. and we also learn that she and her daughter have a kind of tough, complicated relationship. Um, and now Anthara, the daughter, is contemplating how she's going to look after this mother who really never uh, looked after her. I don't know if that really can speak to the relationships between women and um, between women generally, but at least in this novel, I think it speaks to a lot of the relationships between the women. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Avni. And um, Anthara's mother. Tara is starting to show signs of memory loss, like you say. Uh, the sympathy that her mother elicits uh, in others pisses our protagonist off. Uh, why is why is she so angry that her mother's memory loss is provoking sympathy from her acquaintances? Um, you know, I think that one of the things, one of the ways in which um, Anthara grapples with her relationship with her mother is that she feels like she has been the victim. She was a child um, when her mother left, you know, her marital home and took uh, Anthara with her and, you know, they ran away and went to an ashram. And uh, Anthara was kind of, in a sense, I think she felt she had sort of been abducted and she was taken to this kind of terrifying place. You know, the ashram was a, was, is a kind of place where uh, spiritual seekers reside and where people go to find themselves. But for Anthara as a child, she was really lost there. Um, and I think she, she suffered a great deal there, especially, particularly neglect uh, at the hands of her mother. So I think, you know, for Anthara, 
part of settling the score is to remember the past and to kind of hold her mother accountable for what what went down. And with her mother kind of becoming more and more unreliable, becoming more and more, you know, her, her mother's grasp on the present and on the reality of the past is becoming more and more kind of flimsy and fragile. And I think that um, makes Antara's case a little bit more difficult to prove. And, uh, you know, she's kind of lived this life where she understands herself to be the victim at her mother's hands. And now to see her mother as the one who's kind of gaining sympathy, I, I think that just doesn't sit well with her. She's she understands her mother, even though she loves her, I think she understands her as a kind of villain in this story. And, um, and this memory loss uh, makes that a little bit more complicated. Disease, I guess, in general can make that a little complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Omni. Um, part of the issue resulting uh, from her mother's memory loss uh, is that Tara is revealing embarrassing secrets about Antara um, that she used to wet her bed, for example. Uh, do you think in life that the things that make people angry are often the things that they dislike about themselves or things they have done that they are embarrassed by and would rather forget? Um, I think that I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think um, definitely the there's a quality of humiliation um, that appears again and again and again. I, I think it's not only, you know, I think you're right in pointing out the fact that Antara's anger doesn't just come from the neglect, but this constant um, humiliation at the hands of her mother that continues into, into her own adulthood um, that she kind of even has to deal with in her, you know, in her marriage because her mother is kind of you know, insinuating herself there as well and in her other relationships. Um, I, yeah, I think one of the, one of the main themes actually running through the book is the fact that we do become our parents, um, no matter how much we try and fight those impulses. And even though we try and fashion ourselves in a, in a way that's completely different, um, and I think, you know, Antara is no exception to that. As much as she tries to escape her mother and be the opposite of her mother, and they both, I think, you know, their names, I think, are a kind of testament to that. Um, Tara means star and Antara means intimacy. And so they're, they kind of have, there's kind of these polar opposite names. Um, and but still, uh, they, they really resemble each other, they mirror each other, and they sort of um, reflect sometimes, I guess, the worst impulses in each other as well. Right. Thank you so much. Um, Antara's mother threatens to buy a pack of razors in a threat to end her life. Um, Antara suspects she is lying because her mother, she thinks, is very thrifty and would never spend the money on a pack of razors when she could just buy a single razor blade. What does this moment portend regarding Antara's response to her mother's suspected memory loss? Um, I think, you know, Antara, I don't know. I think Antara doesn't really 
believe necessarily that her mother's really losing her memory, but at the same time, you know, her mother is saying things that are not like very characteristic. Um, but Anthura, you know, even as her mother is kind of doing these things that are out of character, she's sort of finding explanations for the reason she's doing certain things. For example, in this particular case with the razors, you know, she's kind of saying, oh, she always had a flair for drama, you know, and could always um, ham things up when she wanted attention. Um, so, yeah, I, I think with with... With Anthra, she, um, I think she doesn't really believe her mother. I think there's an element where she doesn't really trust what's happening in terms of her mother's Alzheimer's. She's, um, you know, she goes to the doctor and the doctor is not really sure what's happening because well, the doctor kind of diagnoses the mother, but then also says that she has the brain of a young woman. Anthra is sure that she's forgetting and is like very keen to kind of, you know, um, position her as kind of this sick person who needs care. But then she's kind of facing, she faces these um, other moments. For example, she has a conversation with her husband where her, where her husband says, well, maybe she wants to forget. Mm-hmm. And then Anthra is kind of faced with this other question, you know, like, okay, but then if she wants to forget, that means she also wants to forget me. Mm. And then what does that mean for a daughter when she has a mother who wants to forget her? So I think it's, it's very complicated. On one hand, I think she kind of fights against, um, she kind of fights against this knowledge of what is happening to her mother. And then also on the other hand, is kind of keen to place her mother in a kind of box. Right, thank you so much. Avni, um, Antara's husband hasn't been around for years and years, and as a result, doesn't remember his mother-in-law for who she was. He only knows her as she is, and as a result, is happy to respond to her from moment to moment as if she is a new and different person. He doesn't have any baggage tied up with who this person is, was, or is supposed to be, uh, both in this story and outside of the story, when dealing with someone who is exhibiting signs of or suffering from memory loss, do you think this Dilip's approach is the best approach? You know, I do think it's a useful approach when dealing with patients who have dementia. I think, you know, um, it's almost, it becomes almost a necessity to try and live in the moment as much as you can, um, especially as the degeneration progresses. But that's of course much easier, that's much more easy to say than it is to actually do. I think in practice for a loved one, uh, for someone who's been there your entire life, for someone who was your child, who's depended on you, who always looked up to you. I mean, for children, their parents are gods. Um, so to, to then remove your parent from, you know, from that understanding and to place them, I guess, for, in a sense, to think of them as children and kind of just approach them um, moment by moment, it, it's not an easy thing to do. I think there's a lot of grief um, when somebody is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and it becomes 
it's it's almost easy for you know somebody who doesn't know the person very well. I don't want to say easy, but it's 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 more possible to treat them um, as though they're a new person every single day. But for the for the family member or for the loved one who's known that person for so long, how much has been lost and how quickly. Um, is so apparent, it's, it's um, so tragic. And I think it's also kind of, you know, just bewildering. I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that we build our memories together. We recollect um, the past together. These are things that we do um, in groups as families. You know, memory is something we keep alive um, as a collective in a lot of ways. And when one person who is kind of the keeper of your history becomes so deeply unreliable, it, um, it throws a wrench in your own kind of understanding of your history. And I, I think that's one of the things that makes it very difficult for a caregiver or a loved one to really accept um, what is lost with a disease like Alzheimer's because their own um, grasp on the past slowly begins to shift and unravel. Thank you so much, Avni. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Avni Doshi. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Avni Doshi, author of Burnt Sugar, which is published by our friends at the Overlook Press. Avni, continuing along the lines of the question before the break, Tara's doctor tells Antara early in the novel that her mother may be a whole new person tomorrow. This raises an interesting philosophical question um, as physically uh, we do become brand new people every few years as our cells regenerate and our skin is renewed and replaced, um, et cetera. Because we are dealing with these questions of identity and memory, Avni, I would like to ask you, in your opinion, what makes a person who they are? Mm. Um. It's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure that I know the answer. I think, you know, we, we think we know people, but um, it, it's really not possible, I guess, in, in a sense, philosophically, really, to know somebody. I think, um, you know, we show each other 
certain sides of ourselves. Some, some people only see the best of who you are. It's very few people, probably only the closest people to you who get to really see all sides of your personality. Um, I think there's so much in each of us that we're not consciously aware of. Um, there are so many kind of drives and actions and desires that mark who we are. And, you know, those are things that we have completely split off from our awareness. Um, and, and those are actually, I think, a big part of who we are. So I think there's that element to it. Um, and then also just, you know, human beings are really dynamic and keep changing. Um, experiences keep changing and shaping us. And even a momentary, like even something that happens in a single moment can change us um, forever. I know that um, motherhood, for example, is something that, you know, you kind of become a mother in a second and then you feel like, wow, it's almost like overnight you are a completely different person and you feel very cut off in a way from the life that you had before. Um, I think people say the same thing about death. Um, you know, the grief, that loss, that void of, of losing someone um, who, who meant so much to you, uh, that whole, you know, it's like all these things kind of rush into that and, and you're suddenly uh, a very different person than you were the day before. So I, I don't know if it's really possible to know someone. I think it's possible to know the shape, maybe an outline of who someone is, um, you know, maybe know who somebody is on paper, maybe have an idea of the persona of that individual, what they kind of um, show to the outside world. But I don't know how much we really know about who a person is, even or in a relationship as close as a mother-daughter one. All right, thank you so much for that answer, Avni. Um, Shifting gears for a moment, there is a scene early in the novel when Antara's mother accuses her and a person on television uh, of conspiring against her. I've seen this sort of reaction from people in the past. Uh, when I encounter something like this, I often think of the short story Signs and Symbols by Vladimir Nabokov. Um, what is it about the medium of television that makes people who are suffering from some sort of uh, dementia or mental ailment think that the people on television or maybe even the device of the television itself um, is and are conspiring against them in some way? I'm actually really um, interested that you picked up on that because that was kind of like a little hidden inside joke for me. Um, so the, the, um, the individual who she's pointing to on the television um, is kind of based on a real life person um, a, a political leader in India, a, a right-wing Hindu nationalist political leader. Um, and he's wearing, you know, she describes that he's wearing these pressed saffron robes, which kind of indicates um, his political allegiance. And 
she, you know, she says that he's the reason that she, she doesn't have love in her life anymore. But uh, later in the novel, um, we meet a character named Reza, uh, who is the lover of Anthra's mother, Amtara. And uh, he um, is, he's, a, he's kind of a journalist, he's a photographer, and he's interested in covering um, certain events that are happening in 1992 and 1993. And people who are familiar with the history of India will have picked up on the fact that, okay, you know, in 1992 and 93, there was this kind of tearing down of this very important um, mosque uh, in, a, in a particular city in India that was thought to be the birthplace of a Hindu deity. And that led to massive amounts of communal violence. And in the novel, um, what ends up happening is because of this moment of communal violence, um, there's kind of a, a split, there, there's kind of an issue that uh, enters this particular relationship between Tara and her lover. Well, it doesn't enter, but it, it's kind of the reason that they can never truly be together. Let's put it that way. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that you picked up on that because I don't think many people pick up on that. And, and so, you know, in a sense, I think for people who are reading the book um, and maybe continue reading and forget that line, you can think that, oh, she's just a crazy woman. She's pointing at the TV and she thinks, um, you know, what's happening on TV is real. Maybe the person on TV resembles somebody in her real life and, she, you know, there's such an immediacy, as you mentioned in the medium, that it can become difficult to differentiate. Um, and in a way, it can also be like you can detach from your real life by kind of inhabiting this imagined TV world. Um, but actually, I think people, as they read the book, they might later then, if, if they're aware of the history around um, around that particular moment of communal violence in India, if they're familiar with it, they might actually recall, they, they might actually recollect that moment at the beginning with the politician in the saffron robes on TV. And they might, you know, then kind of connect the dots that yes, he is, he is kind of indirectly the reason that Tara could not have her, um, could not be with this man that she loved. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for that answer. I'm glad I asked. Um, Avni, it looks like um, our time here is running short, um, but I would like to ask one more question. Uh, Antara um, is an artist, and there is a bit of a conflict between her and her mother because Antara's mother believes that the art Antara makes is lying or is about lying, and Antara does not believe that her art is about lying. Can you talk to us about this conflict between Antara and her mother that is centered around art? And outside of the novel, can you talk to us more generally about the idea that art is a lie? Um, yeah, so, you know, in, um, I, I think, you know, the artwork in the novel is actually, a sort of um, catalyst, <laughs> you, 
you can say for a lot of uh, the conflict that occurs between various characters. Um, the artwork that Anthra is an artist um, and the artwork that she makes, basically what she does is she started with, um, it's one particular project that she's been working on for a very long period of time. And she starts with, she started with a photograph which she has presumably lost, um, but she copied that original photograph. And then with each subsequent day, she copies the picture from the day before. And with each drawing that she does day after day after day, she uh, moves further and further away from the original because as we know, you know, the human hand is full of error. And uh, as she's copying, um, she's copying the errors of the day before and she's forgetting um, what the original image looked like. And at the end, and you know, once the, the kind of project is not necessarily complete, but once she's got, I think a year I think she does it for a year and then exhibits it. Um, and it, you know, it's like the image that she began with, the kind of first uh, picture that she drew and the last one, you know, the images almost don't uh, look like each other at all. She's moved so far away from the original at that point. Um, and I think, you know, her mom says that this is like your game of Chinese whisper, which is like a, a game where, you know, you whisper in each other's ears and the, the, you kind of move further and further away from the truth. And I think in her mother's eyes, that's a kind of lie and that's a kind of deception. And um, anyway, there are other reasons why her mother feels uh, kind of deceived by this artwork, but I think for Anthara, you know, actually in a way this artwork, um, it kind of represents the way memory works because, um, you know, we, we start with a memory and every day that we rehearse the memory, uh, we add our own little flourish, we add our own little errors, we perhaps remember and kind of, you know, things solidify in our minds, other parts of the memory start to vanish, start to evaporate. Um, the memory becomes part of perhaps the larger narrative. And we only really hold on to the parts that matter. Um, what do we need to remember about this memory to have a sense of it? What is less important? And over time, how does our sense of the memory begin to change as well? So, you know, I think it works in that way. But I, I also think in a sense, the artwork is almost like, um, even how traits can pass from generation to generation. I, I even, you know, one of the things that we encounter in the novel is this idea of intergenerational trauma. And we see that Tara, maybe she's not an amazing mother, but that didn't happen in a vacuum. Um, she is the product of her parents and her parents are the product of theirs. And we get a sense of that um, through like little encounters with the grandparents. But, um, but there are kind of these similarities and these lines, you know, and there are ways in which we resemble each other and there are ways in which perhaps history repeats itself and things are kind of circular. And, and I, I see that kind of emerging in, um, in the artwork as well. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Avni. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. It's one of the best I've read this year. And we've only touched upon the surface and we've talked about so much. I look forward to putting this book in more people's hands and talking about it uh, with our customers here at Quail Ridge Books. Listeners, I've been speaking with Avni Doshi, author of Burnt Sugar, which is published by our friends at the Overlook Press. Avni, thank you so much for joining me. Once again, I would like to thank Avni Doshi for joining me. Copies of Burnt Sugar can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookend.